Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com. The Environmental Protection Agency is pulling out all of the stops for a major hiring spree this year. The agency is looking to recruit 1,000 new employees and 350 interns in 2024. It's all part of an ongoing recruitment campaign called BEPA. For more, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman spoke with EPA's Deputy Administrator for Mission Support, Andrew Schreyer. BEPA kind of started as the brainchild of Administrator Regan. Uh, in a meeting uh, a while back, we started discussing how we could provide additional opportunities for future generations. I think, you know, with a huge influx of uh, of money from the bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act, we needed to capitalize on a once in a generation opportunity to recruit a, a new class of EPA employees. So, you know, Administrator Regan started his career as an intern here at EPA. So, you know, this project is a bit of a a culmination of of his work to lift young people up and empower them. And I've always tried to find new ways to eliminate or reduce the barriers to entry for folks. So, you know, this campaign is all about that. It's about making it easier to get into the federal government and EPA specifically, uh, as well as recruit new uh, applicants who are passionate about our mission. But may not know about EPA or think that there's a place for them here. So recruiting from all over the country and trying to reach people who have been left out previously. And now, Andrew, you also mentioned that uh, some of the funding for these hires came from the Inflation Reduction Act and the infrastructure law. Can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, what are the types of positions that you guys are hiring for and will they be working directly on some of the initiatives from those laws? Definitely. You know, EPA announced our BEPA campaign, hiring campaign last year uh, to support the efforts to hire more than 1,800 new employees uh, to implement these laws, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and the Inflation Reduction Act. And, you know, today I'm proud to say that we filled more than 1,300 uh, of those Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and Inflation Reduction Act positions. And, as successful as we were in hiring a lot of these these colleagues, you know, we still have to recruit 400 more uh, of these uh, of these positions this year. Um, and these roles are in addition to the hundreds of others that we're hiring for uh, with our appropriated dollars. So, you know, this is a really exciting opportunity. We're hiring all sorts of different roles in all sorts of different offices all around the country, uh, interdisciplinary scientists, program analysts, you know, grants project officers, uh, public affairs and community engagement, you know, are some of the, the positions that we currently have uh, live that we're hiring for and coordinating with this campaign. Some of those are tied to uh, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and Inflation Reduction Act. Others are not. You know, we have more positions in the coming weeks and months. Um, we're also planning to substantially increase and actually double our internship opportunities this year, this summer, uh, which is really exciting, up to, you know, 350 interns. Uh, and that's just the beginning. You know, we're looking for young, energetic minds to infuse new ideas and perspectives into this work. 
And tell me a little bit more about the early career or the young talent aspect of all of this. Are you going to, you know, college campuses or other places to connect with early career talent? Or how is that, um, how is that really shaping out? EPA participates. We use a program called Handshake uh, that allows for a lot of our outreach um, with, with young folks, um, you know, we are able to tap into their pool of over 12 million uh, students and recent grads uh, from all sorts of varying educational institutions, uh, which include minority serving institutions and professional organizations, uh, persons with disabilities, student veterans. And so, you know, the agency is conducting a nationwide recruitment drive. We're targeting, you know, colleges, universities, professional networks. Uh, some of the ways that we're doing this are through webinars. Um, we host these webinars throughout the year that are marketed, um, some specifically to uh, minority-serving institutions or MSIs um, that, that talk about our job opportunities and application process. Um, we last year hosted our first ever collaborative webinar uh, with another federal agency with uh, the U.S. Department of Interior. Uh, and that resulted in, you know, 4,800 attendees, I think, um, and, and more than doubled attendance at our agency's national MSI recruitment webinars. Um, we've significantly, significantly increased participation and, and our sponsorship of, of some on-campus and virtual job fairs and, and conferences with some professional organizations as well. Uh, NSBE, the, the National Society of Black Engineers, uh, LULAC, the League of United Latin American Citizens are, are some, you know, uh, I, I attended the, the HAKU conference last year, the Hispanic Association of Colleges and Universities, but, you know, we're really emphasizing the recruitment of graduates from diverse backgrounds from, from uh, all over the place to, to build a workforce that's reflective of America's diverse population. As you're reaching out and kind of forming these new avenues to reach candidates and to reach uh, new EPA employees, um, what is the the feedback or the response that you've gotten? Are are you seeing more diverse candidates, and are you getting more positive feedback from people interested to to join EPA? Definitely, you know, we're getting a ton of excitement. I think that's uh, the the biggest feedback we're getting. Uh, People want to work here, it seems, and you know it, it's a great place to work. We were named a top place to work in the federal government uh, and one of the best employers for for new grads uh, last year. So you know we're capitalizing on that. I believe that uh, this is driven by our mission to protect human health and the environment, um, and because our reputation as an agency that takes care of our own people. You know our workforce is our strongest asset and uh, this administration has really emphasized that and we've tried to put a lot of a focus uh, into that listen to what our employees are saying um, and act on that we use the the federal employee viewpoint survey uh, you know we take it to heart and and we we really you know focus on on what, how we can be better, always, always improving ourselves. Um, the 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 hiring webinar that we hosted this week, uh, that took place on Wednesday, February seventh, you know, and and was facilitated by Deputy Administrator Janet McCabe. We had the 
the press uh, event that the administrator hosted on, on Monday with uh, press from colleges and universities. And so, you know, this is a, a push that's coming from the highest levels of the agency and we're, we're getting a ton of, of, of excitement. Uh, I think we had over 6,000 uh, folks registered for the hiring webinar on, on Wednesday, which is incredible. The response has been excellent. Andrew Schreyer, EPA's Deputy Assistant Administrator for Mission Support, speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Check out Drew's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Kolmstetter, Chief People Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences and that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that, I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era 
thinking that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies, and we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're gonna go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or, or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their, in their roles. Excellent, new thinking. Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when as a leader that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on, on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency and I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions, and that leader then said, okay, I'm gonna go around the room and get everybody's opinion, and then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I wanna hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight, I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted that she let all these people 
have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting, getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, mm -hmm. people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title chief people officer and I think it's my dream job really to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going? Um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules, can we make it a menu, can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role. So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. 
This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married, for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, and I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're Thank uh, you. having known you now for seven or eight years, yeah. um, and work alongside you. Uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues. It's, uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.